The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. Hello, Save Them family. Landon here. Welcome to this episode of the Save Them podcast. Today we bring you a story of a young lady that we've had a long ongoing relationship with. We've she was actually our first probably I guess technically our first rescue um or second. <laughs> it depends how you count. Um but she was early. <laughs> And uh, that was early days, um, and there's been a lot of back and forth with her, um, and we wanted you to be able to hear her story directly from her so that you can understand why there's a lot of back and forth for her, and that part of the reason that it's so important to stop trafficking before it happens is because of her story. Her story will tell you exactly how broken and how off the rails things can go so quickly and that's why we've got to be on top of this from from the get-go and prevent it from happening to begin with um that's that is part and parcel of why the approach that we take in counter trafficking has to be holistic has to address all aspects at the same time we can't just rescue those who are already taken uh, we also have to be involved in stopping uh, them from being taken to begin with. Uh, we also have to address the demand problem. We have to address the awareness and education problem. Uh, we, you know, just and, and then the long-term healing process, as you're going to hear, it, it, it's very complicated. It is not a slam dunk. So just because someone is taken out of the environment doesn't mean that their freedom, as we would think of it, is a shoe-in. That's just not the way it works. And so the best way to hear about this is from a survivor herself um, and a survivor who has been back and forth. Um, and this, this testimony that she's going to give you does predate her time in prison uh, where she was arrested and put in prison, and we actually uh, were involved in having her released from prison eventually, and she's giving it another try. You know, she's she's out there giving it another shot. And you just kind of hope and pray. Um, you know, I, I hate to sigh, right? It's, But it's just one of those things where you see the Lord's creation. You see uh, beauty in people. You see how things can be so right. And then at the same time, you see the darkness and you see the ugliness and you see how things can go so wrong. And to keep those things in tension and um, just pretend that that life can go the way you want it to um, as kind of an external third party is maybe naive at best. And um, uh, anyways, this, this work just, it engenders a whole lot of humility because you 
realize how complicated and fragile the human existence really is. Uh, and the, the human psyche is, is, is an unexplainable <laughs> phenomenon at so many turns. Um, and then when you start introducing the concept of the soul and, um, and your, your eternal standing before your creator and, um, understanding that you're a sinner in need of a savior and, and that whole journey. I mean, you, you talk about mess. Uh, the human condition is, is messy. And no matter how much we try to reduce the human condition to predictable attributes, controllable variables, it's just not how the Lord made us. So I guess for those of us who are in this work all the time, you just, you just get comfortable with failing and you pray that the Lord will bring redemption and redeem the mess because uh, we just kind of always have muddy boots because we're constantly walking in the muck and the mire. And, uh, you know, uh, there's not a period of time that doesn't go by where our, our team members just sort of look at each other and say, man, can anything ever go smoothly <laughs> or right or anything? Do we always have to struggle? Do we always have to be fighting uphill battles? Um, but man, our team has some very developed arms and shoulder muscles from uh, paddling uphill <laughs> or up the stream, sorry, paddling upstream. So um, luckily we still have a paddle. <laughs> uh, the other expression would render us paddleless. So Anyhow, that's me just chatting. Please um, appreciate that this victim slash survivor slash relapsed slash woman. You know, she's just a woman on a journey of brokenness. And um, just, just please appreciate what she's going through. And then please pray into her life that that she can really land this plane which has been completely full of turbulence, um, that she can just smooth it out and get it to the ground and that she can start uh, living a life um, worthy of, of the Lord that, that she does claim to believe in and that she does claim to have given her life to and that she does claim to know, and she does claim that he knows her. So um, to put all that together and just walk in it and to push back the darkness, to take every thought captive, and to really just um, be reborn and rebirthed, um, I think for some of these, these victims, it maybe feels like, how can you be rebirthed 50 times? Because your life is... It's more like Groundhog Day, you know, it's, um, I don't know that many of us can really appreciate what, what relapse is like, unless you've been there, um, or, or what it is to feel so out of your skin that you can't even stand to be in, in a good place. 
because you're so consumed with how bad you are that you, you can't even function in the light because you're so consumed with your darkness. I've heard this story over and over and over again. And, um, you know, we, we just try with as much humility as possible to just, it's kind of cliche, but to just be the gospel for these women and children um, and let the Lord's light shine through us um, and to have patience and grace and mercy towards them because it is a stinking nightmare. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, uh, but the rewards are great. And, um, you know, I, I could share story after story, which helps us remember that. And, yeah, I, I only have to <laughs> reflect on um, this little young man, uh, we'll just call him L, uh, who uh, we rescued from the womb, you know, who who is now in grade school and and is living a life that he was not going to live. Um, he either would have lived in captivity or he would have been dead before he was two years old. But now... He's living this life, and he is a preacher of the word. <laughs> he is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is amazing. And so those things help help give us perspective. But anyhow, you probably don't want to listen to me talk so much. Um, I just wanted to give a little bit of intro as we kick you over. We're just, uh, we asked her to just call herself Clover just so that she had a name for the, the testimony. It's, it's not her name, but whatever. Um, so here's Clover's testimony. Please keep her in your prayers and her family, um, to include, uh, her mother. Um, I think her, her father has since passed away since all this has happened. Um, and, um, she has children. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole big old spaghetti bowl full of mess, but, um, keep her in her, in your prayers. Uh, we thank you for all the prayers and support that you have sent Save Them's Way. Um, I will ask you to remember that uh, this month uh, we have a couple weeks left. We are trying desperately to raise some unbudgeted funds uh, for our lead rescue vehicle and for our South African team. And so we, we need to get that done. Um, we are needing to raise $20,000 uh, by the end of August uh, 2023. And um, so this part of, the, of this podcast will be um, irrelevant down the road when people hear this podcast uh, a year from now. But uh, for those who are going to hear it contemporaneously, um, please, uh, please go to savethem.org. And do what you can um, in the donation field. There's a drop-down menu for the 2023 vehicle fund. Uh, please throw throw whatever you can in there. Um, you know, many hands make light work, and we're all trying to pull together so that we can get that new lead rescue vehicle purchased and on the road. Our existing uh, rescue vehicle, our lead rescue vehicle, um, which does our most dangerous work is what we're needing to replace. Um, it has worked hard, and it is running out of steam. So we don't want our team members to be caught 
uh, in a bad situation. So thank you so much. And uh, again, you can find us at savethem.org. We have a contact form there if you know of anybody that needs help, any cases that need to be followed up on. Wherever you are in the globe, let us know. We do have a network of people all over the place. I can't say that they're necessarily in your backyard, but um, with you know, it's like the uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, if you've ever heard of that game. Um, typically, there's somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, so we can, we can try and help. All right, I'm going to let you go and pass you over to Clover and her testimony. This is Landon, and I'm out. Cheers. As an additional disclaimer, please take note that the following podcast is exceptionally intense and somewhat disturbing. Hi, my name is Clover, and I'm 25 years old. I lived the normal life before. I was, um, I was an athlete. I used to play netball. Um, I could have gone to America five times if I wanted to sports um, but unfortunately my my life turned out to be different I have a little brother that is yeah in primary school now and I have an older brother that is um, right now he's 21 he's four years younger than me I have a mom and dad a perfect family they are divorced but they still get along well I have a highly intelligent mom that I never thought she wouldn't be wise enough to warn me from these things, but she wasn't, she wasn't, she wasn't there when it happened, because I was big, I was living my own life. She, um, I don't think she thought that this would this would have happened because she never raised me like this. But I was, um, I was living by myself because I was already done studying at a, I did my trade in instrumentation through Anglo-American. I was, I was well, I was well off. I had my own place. I had my own car. I only graduated around two months when there was a, one morning I went for a jog and I met a, a black guy and a colored woman. She was very young, the girl, I think she was even, by that time, she was maybe at the age of 14 or 15. So as I was jogging, I passed him and he, the black man stopped me and he asked me if I wanted to buy something. So I knew what he was talking about because I was, I had, um, experience with drugs before. I had um, a cousin that did drugs, so he, if he was doing maybe drugs, we'd go out, and I was also taking drugs. The only drug I was taking was cat. He used to always warn me not to buy for myself. If I wanted to use something, he would buy for me. But I wasn't doing drugs at a stage where I was, yeah, at that stage where I was going to be buying anything. I was clean. Drugs was yeah, it was a relaxed thing for me, like alcohol. It wasn't something I'd take all the time. But he asked me if I wanted to buy something, and because of the young woman standing with him, I was even surprised to see her, and then he saying those words. But I, I left with him to his house. I saw where he's staying, and it was quite neat. It wasn't like it was that, um, 
that dirty or um, the windows were breaking. The house was quite neat. It's just that the area where they was where they were staying, I, I didn't know that well to be, um, yeah, to be knowing that that is what's going on in the houses there. But I saw where he's staying and I left, um, I dropped to my place and I got some money. I went back, I, I bought some drugs, only to find out she's also doing drugs, the young girl. And I bought for her what she was taking. She was taking rock at that stage. And after that, I went to work. And um, I actually thought that she was the girlfriend of the guy where I was buying drugs. I wasn't um, thinking it's Nigerian. He was well-dressed. He wasn't looking like he can be dangerous or anything. So, you know, after that, every time when me or my cousin want to buy anything for us to, to take any drug, we used to go only to his place. So at a stage, me and the, the young girl got got a little bit close and she told me her age and her real name and what happened in her life. So, um, yeah, I started to notice that she's prostituting for this Nigerian guy. Um, but that didn't change my point of view in going there because every time when I go there, I'll just buy her something or I'll take her out to buy herself something. But at this stage, there was a time when I, I didn't go there, maybe for like two weeks or so. I didn't even check up on her herself. So there was a night when I had a WhatsApp from one of the other girls. There was two girls staying in the house and two Nigerian guys. So the one girl told me that they are beating her and the problem was that she was pregnant at that stage. So I had somebody to go drop me there. So if maybe she needed to go to the hospital or whatever, then I can at least accommodate her. So um, when I got there, she was she, she was crying, but I didn't see that there was blood or something, but there was water coming out down, um, down there. So I went to take her for a bath so I can clean her up and shave so we can, we can go to the hospital. And during that period of time, she told me that she wants cat to take the pain away she's feeling because drugs take any physical pain away. So I bought drugs from, um, from, from the guy I normally buy from in the house. And um, yeah, that's the last thing I remember is us taking cat. I woke up after that the next morning and I was lying on the couch. I wasn't even inside the room, but my wallet was not on me. My handbag actually with my wallet inside, my phone was gone. And I took three, I, I withdrew 3,000 for her, um, for the, the, the lady that was pregnant to take her to the hospital. Even that money was, was not on me. I was basically emptied out. So then there was, um, yeah, there was around 15 guys. I, can't, I wasn't counting, but the room was full. The sitting room was full. And then there was um, one of them speaking to tell me that they've seen on my bank slips the amount of money that's in my account. They want all of it, and then I, they will let me go. So I was surprised because where's my phone, where's everything? And they said they will keep it for me until they have all the money. So from there on, I gave them my bank, um, my bank card pin, and um, yeah, the problem was I had a limit, and they didn't wanted me to make a phone call or go to the bank to open the limit because it's also a security risk for them.
or safety risk. So they could only withdraw a thousand rand a day. So until all the money was out, I was inside the house. I do remember that some days were okay and some days were not. The only thing that I was okay with was the fact that I could at least take my drug, not to feel what I'm going through. The problem is the drugs that I was taking, I don't believe that that was the thing that they were giving me. Because I don't remember much from those days. It felt like it was a short period of time, but it wasn't, it was three months. So eventually at the stage where I got they trust in a way where I could be making phone calls and um, get out of the house. It's like they owned my soul. Everything about me changed, the way I looked at life, the way I think. I wasn't, I just wasn't myself. I can't explain to, to people what, what they did because I can't, I, I don't know. But life was different ever since then. So, after a while, I had a chance to, to get out, and I was, I was saved, and I was having a chance to heal, and to restore my body, my mind, and my soul, but it didn't work, it never worked. I went back after a while because I just wanted to feel like I fit in in the world where my mom is taking me to. I don't fit in anymore. I'm not like people anymore. I don't think like people anymore. I can't see life the way people does because of what happened. So I went back just to be okay and fit in and not to say because not to say I want to fit in, but where I found these people like me, because in a normal environment, people are not like me anymore. It happened a few times that I went back, I got out and I went back by myself again, only to the same Nigerian guy, only to find out that they're doing so many rituals and they're doing so many, they're doing so many, things that we are not um, educated about. They let me every night sleep with a specific necklace on my neck. Um, they, they did many things and I never saw it in a way where it can be holding me there or controlling me. But um, today I'm very sure that that is what kept me there. In between what I wanted to tell you guys is that I think it's been, I can't even remember how many years, but it's been years, I think it's three years, that I am just not the original, the original girl my mom gave birth to, if I can put it like that, I'm not, I'm not um, even close by the daughter she knew. I've tried healing before, and I'm not saying I'm not healing because I do heal, but in a way where my life cannot be normal like it used to be before. So where I am now, I'm still in a system where I can call it trafficking. And I'm not saying I'm okay because I'm not. 
but because of them knowing that they've got my soul, they do trust me and I said to go where I want to go and to come back when I want to come back. But the only thing I must bring back is money. That's all they want. Um, the thing that I, I'd like to tell you guys, my point I want to make is that trafficking is not just by body, but it is by soul, it is by mind. It's my heart that, that's been trafficked. I don't know how to find it. And every time when I think I'm strong enough to stand up again, they owning something else than just what they had before. <laughs> I think it was about three weeks back. I found it out. Well, I knew already that I was pregnant with the Nigerian's baby. And he's well off. He's living in a proper house. He's, everything about his life is fine. It looks normal because he has money to buy those things. But the way he makes the money is different from normal people. So for me to have a baby with a kind of man like that, it's just against, against everything I used to, I used to own. My morals are not like theirs. But even him himself agreed that the baby is not a good idea. So they took me to a private doctor and yeah, to take the baby down. So um, the only problem is they did everything live, but I want to share this part with you guys. I went to, on the Monday and I got two pills that I had to put underneath and one pill I had to put underneath my tongue. And that night the blood was starting and everything was so much and I did it on my own. I didn't have my mom to tell me to breathe. I didn't have, have anybody to bring me water. I was sitting on the toilet watching. Everything about me going down. I never thought it would be so painful. But the pain was inside, it was outside, it was in my mind, it was in my heart. But I, I made it and the next day I went to the doctor. And it was a private doctor, it's not like it was a backyard thing. But I still did it live. I was 100% on no medication, on no drug. They didn't inject me. I was, I was absolutely awake and they, they tied my legs and they told me that it will be a little bit painful, I must hold on. But once they started, the pain was extreme to a level where I was just swearing each Nigerian I ever knew in my life. I was, I was even screaming it out loud. At that stage, I didn't give, I, I didn't care even if anybody hears me or, or gonna have a comment about what I'm what I'm screaming, I just needed to get it out because it's not my fault, this is their fault. And at the stage, the sister told the doctor to go outside because I'm in a, I'm in, I'm in a state, it's like I can, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm even behaving like an animal, they, they can't control me, but the pain was in that extreme where I couldn't, I couldn't bear it anymore and it just kept coming. And the sister told the doctor to go out and she came back inside and she started to pray for me. She doesn't know me, she doesn't know my background, she doesn't know whose baby this is, she doesn't know anything about me. She started to pray for me and after she prayed for me, she asked me to sing with her. If I know, if I know the song, she started to sing a song where she says, 
Lord, I need you more. I need you more than yesterday. I need you more than words can say. I just need you, Lord. And I was so happy that she's singing that song because it's a song that's reminding me of my mom. It's a song that's reminding me of my, my, my close, my loved ones, the people that's close to me because that's, that's just one of my favorite songs ever since before the harsh times and in between the harsh times. And once she started to sing that song, I was just mingled because I couldn't sing that well because I was crying so much. And then I just remember her telling me, am I fine? And I was even shocked. I, I opened my eyes and I said, just are you finished? And she said, yes. And I said, are you done with everything? Is all the blood, is everything out? And she says, yes. And I actually fell asleep for 40 minutes, not on any medication. The pain was in that extreme before that I was not even capable of breathing. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping and I didn't see light and I didn't see darkness. I was, I fell asleep without even remembering how that I fell asleep. I can't even remember even that I was dreaming because I wasn't dreaming. I was just out like somebody gave me something into sleep you know that type of deep sleep i went in but there was nothing like that and um she told me it's about 40 minutes earlier on that we started to sing and i couldn't believe it and then i i just realized that it was it was my father from up there that just put me in his arms and he said okay i see you can't go anymore let me take you away for a little while so you can come back and just be still alive because my journey is not over i know and my my mom my dad and everybody should just know that i i didn't give up yet far deep inside i'm still going but i'm not that much okay but the one thing that makes me okay was that day because I just saw that he never left me. Nothing like that has ever happened in my life. And I don't deserve for it to happen. But that day, it happened. God held my hand when I needed him the most. But I deserved him. I didn't deserve any of his grace, not even a little bit. So what he did to me that day is making me to know that I'm sitting here and I'm still breathing. I'm still physically alive. Because my spirit didn't give up yet, he said. He's still breathing life in me. Even if they're taking from me, he's putting in more from what they're taking away. So I just want you guys to know that it's been, it's been three years later and everything has changed. I can't even, I can't even think that three years back I was somebody different. But it doesn't take much to do what they did. I, um, I don't think it, it's supposed to take years. It's just that God's grace on my life was enough for them not to get what they needed from me in a short period of time. Okay, I'm take a pause quickly. Yeah. Okay.
think um the thing that's holding me there is to step out. I always have people either looking down on me or feel sorry for me. Which either one of them I don't need really because I feel um what I've been through. A normal person can't even think the kind of pain spiritually and emotionally. They can't imagine how big the pain can be, so I can't, I, I feel I'm, I'm way stronger in, in a way where the humanity of today don't, um, they can't, I'm not saying they can't help, but they don't see the extreme of it, so I do believe that I'm strong in a way where a normal life will be where people keep trying to help me and I will think that they can't help me because they don't know the extremes that I've been through really. Um, so I'm, I'm staying inside not because it's better there, but somehow I don't think of anything else except for survival, so my mind copes, I think, when real life People keep asking me if I'm okay, and if I have to think about it, sometimes I'm not okay. But to not think about it in a way is better for me sometimes, and I just, um, there's so many reasons, to be honest with you. The mind games that they play inside there, I think is a big thing that's keeping me there. Sometimes I feel like I want to see the extreme that they can, they can they can go tomorrow because yesterday I beat at the game. Let's see if they can try something else because I do believe the victims are even stronger than the people victimizing us in the first place. We have become, I've, I've seen girls you know, that I don't think even my, me myself will be able to to imagine how they're coping, but they are coping. So I see hope in there because I see a lot of strength, even though I see it in a different way than somebody whose life is just perfect. Um, to stay inside there sometimes. I see so many, I, I do believe I see so many moments that people will never experience. Not always a good thing and it's not always a bad thing. But I think I'm staying inside there by choice that I didn't make for myself even. So there's a lot of reasons I can stay inside. I'm, I can say I'm staying there, but I think the main thing is it's so much of a spiritual thing, even though I can pray and I can believe why I'm sitting here now. Even if I can get help and heal the the evil environment that I've seen, I've experienced, I've felt, I've tasted even, is, yeah, it's, it's, it's abnormal. People can't believe that it can happen in real life, but I think that is what's keeping many, 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 many girls there. Some girls can say it's addiction, but me, myself, I can tell you that as I'm sitting here now, the last time I took something was, Four days back, I don't take drugs anymore because I don't need it. 
My mind is already exactly what they need. They don't need to give me drugs to make me something because I've become it already. I cut off in moments where I need to cut off and I become alive when I need to be alive. They create and form you the way they need you to be in the mind and in spirit. Drugs only help them to make it easy in the beginning, but it's not drugs keeping somebody there. It's a spiritual thing. That's what I think. I don't believe I have that ability to, to make my own rational choices. Even if I go and I have a million rand and they say buy a car, I will buy a car and afterwards see that the car will not be the right choice. But I do believe in moments I, I do make right choices. But it's only God at that moment stepping in because it's either he does or I won't step out there alive. <laughs> so no, I don't think I have any rush. I don't, I don't think I have any mind to make a rational choice by my own mind and by my own body. During that time I did, eventually, after I went back, maybe the second time, you must understand that the only person I feel knows me is him. Because whatever I become was what he made me to be. So if somebody understands you and somebody knows you, you find comfort in that person. I think any normal person will be comfortable with somebody who knows the inner parts. But it wasn't right because I, I became what he needed. And therefore I found comfortability in to say he knows me. So I trusted him and I started to feel something I can't today know. And I can't even think that I thought that it was love or it was comfort or was care. But at that stage that's how it felt. I can have a very hard day or moment or week. But if there's one moment where he can put his arms around me, I feel safe. Nothing else would have made me to feel safe, not even the police. Because I've seen so many of them doing me wrong. But his arms felt that I'm safe. It made me to feel like I'm safe, yes.
So the first thing that they feel they deserve or they they need is respect. That's something I can't even give. I don't, for me, in my previous life, where I was still in the normal humanity life, I used to not obey anyone. If I feel I'm right, I'm right. I will listen to somebody else if I think the opinions are not what I need or I don't find it to make sense, I cannot listen. So when I was inside there, I used to, I never thought that it, I can, my father's never even lifted his hands. I don't know what that type of pain is. So I never, th I never thought that somebody can hit me because I don't listen. If I'm right, I'm right. And in their eyes, they are always right. So it's not to listen or not to do what they need. Yeah. Cost me almost my. Yeah, I, I nearly died a few times. I, I can tell you guys that. They beat you in no matter where you don't think you. I can't see light. I can't even see my own hands because my eyes are so closed. I'm asking for a cup of water before he beats me again at that extreme because I can't swallow anything. I'm so thirsty because it went on for hours long. <laughs> And I can't even have a cup of water. I can't even have a glass of water. <laughs> I even remember the way he still said it to me. Me, give you water. Me. Um, yeah, they beat the girls in in an extreme way. You guys should understand. Not like what beating is. Their bodies are extremely fit. They they do a lot of moody things. Put it on their hands, even if they give you a slight slap. The kind of pain you feel is is different than what we are used to. And they don't care. They look at you like you're, you're a stick. They can throw you to a, to a roof, let you fall, being pregnant, not being pregnant. Even if you can bring them so much money, but you never listen to something specifically, doesn't matter. I, I do believe that they find comfort in somebody else's pain because they can't do with their own. That's what I see. So yeah, the girls suffer a lot. Some of the girls don't make it. Some do. And even after the pain, you mustn't think that they will comfort you with um, the right medication. And the only thing that you must 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 um, how can I say? What you must wait is dwellen, so we pain wait to fat. Dat is niet zoiets als medicatie. Nee, ook geen medicatie om te weerde straks. Dat is niet medicatie. Um, yeah, so the level of pain that I've seen, even and what I've experienced, is my father will be in a state if he can see somebody doing that to me. He won't be able to. He won't be able to handle it because no human being deserves such treatment. To be treated and be treated like you are nothing. And it doesn't stop, eh? It doesn't stop. It's only when you are half, you are halfway, you can't, you're halfway dead. Like you can't even open your mouth to take breath. When they'll stop. And in the beginning, I used to be capable of fighting back. My body was strong and was fit enough with or without drugs for me to run either to be fighting back, but it made the fight worse because they don't need somebody to challenge who they are. They need you to be weak when, 
when there's situations like that because they want to feel strong. So my fighting, by fighting back, it doesn't uh, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fear is not inside of them because they know what they do behind the scenes in their rituals. They do believe their ancestors and their spiritual life is at a level that we will never understand to challenge. But yeah, we can. But you must be, you must be 100% in Christ. People think by praying and by going to churches, what will be capable of saving this world, but it's not. They need to open their hearts and be true to themselves, to their family, to their loved ones, and really commit by saying, God, take control of every part of me. Because the level of, the level of evil that they practice and, and rituals is, is not something that is in theory, because it's a secret. Everything they do is secret. No, it doesn't matter if it's one rand or ten rand. If I need food, I mustn't buy it with the money I made. Okay, I should I should be doing a sexual. I'm a sex worker even at this stage, and even if I'm not a sex worker, I'll be acting like I am until there's a client, and then they they will rob that client even if they have to go to the extreme of taking out literally um, guns and that's what they do um, yeah I don't always need to open my legs but most of the time it's necessary they rob the clients or they they take the money I the client gives me for sex it doesn't matter what he wants I must do it I don't have choice but even if it's one rand he gave me or ten rand I mustn't use that money even to buy myself a coke I must give it to them, and them themselves will buy me a Coke. That is the way it works. Yeah. I don't have my own choice. Or my own... Yeah, I can't use any money I have to buy whatever I want. They will buy it for me. So every cent I earn, or I make, or I take from anybody should go inside their hands. They don't think that we are... Yeah, they, they look at women as nothing. We are basically nothing. Yes, like I was, um, the very first guy I stayed with, he didn't care about pain. For him, it's a weakness. If I can say I'm sick, I can't work, he feels I'm weak. And, um, yeah, he will teach me to be strong every day and every second of my life. That's the way he feels. Until he's sick, then he's almost dead. But me, myself, I had to work through blood times. 
three times where I can't walk, where I'm coughing in a way where I'm not even having two seconds. I'm not capable of counting one, two, then I cough again. The whole night through, but I will be standing in the street or I'll be still taking my phone calls. So, um, yeah, they don't care if you're sick. It doesn't matter to them. Money, can, if money is coming now, even if you're sick, you must go for it. So um, where I'm staying now and with who I am now, is, I can't say it's better because I know his plans are even different than from the one before. If I'm sick, I can say I'm resting or I'm not taking business. But um, I know his plans for me is because he doesn't need me to die right now. So let me rather heal and not die because his plans for me is bigger than the one the previous one's plans for me. So, yeah, actually they, they don't care about anything else. Money comes first. Emotions, they act like they don't have anything. I don't know. I do believe they are human. They should also have emotions, but whatever is possessing them, yes, is making them not to feel anything because I can't see how any human being can let another human being die and still give them money. Is it worth the money? Because even if I don't care for somebody, death is not somebody, something you wish upon anyone. Yeah, so we work, doesn't matter what. And um, the plans for you is always, not, is not always the same. So if somebody is nice to you, it's not to say he cares, it's just that his plans is different than the previous ones. That is something somebody should know. Even if you get a girl working on the internet, and she's been looked after. It doesn't mean that she's happy where she is or her perpetrator's emotions towards her is real. There's no such thing because you can't use somebody else's soul and steal whatever they have inside of them for money. Because to do sex work is not something even drugs can heal. Even on drugs you feel everything. It's just... You forget sometimes easier, but pain, it doesn't take it away, yeah? Well, I know that people can't think that their own husbands can do it, but doesn't sit easier. I can tell you guys that I will never step out of this life and marry not white not black it doesn't matter what color i can't i'm not i don't want any relationship from any men because what i've seen is yeah it's i can't i swear i can't believe it it's um it's not human i can't believe that this world can be this far gone it's it's rich man it's man with class it's man with Happily families, and they're so proud of their families, they even show me pictures of them. That's how I know how, what type of a life he lives. So I can't, I can't believe, in Afrikaans we say, Boer Wimki, a, a normal Boer, even my father. I can even say that my own father can, can go, because the type of class my father is, is the type of class of men I'm meeting, asking me for sex, giving me money for it. Um, using drugs, even if it's just once a month, they come and sit there for one full weekend. I had this one, this one old guy that's on pension already, and I, I don't think that somebody driving 
Udi A4, Udi A4. Can be any different to my father because even my father, my father is driving one, and he came and he he spent actually four days. It was a Friday until the Monday there, parking his wife's car in my garage, smoking rock, only wanting girls to be walking naked around him, serving him naked, asking you know for for pleasure. And um, yeah, and every time when I tell him okay, I need more money. He even sends me with his wife's car and his bank card and he, he, he gives me his pen code and I go and withdraw the money. I come back, I show him the bank slip. Until, yeah, there was the, the one time when I had to go and withdraw money, there wasn't more money in the account because the, the amount of money I already took was almost to 40,000. When I wanted to go and withdraw, I couldn't. So I went back to the house, I got him inside the car, I was driving and as I was at the bank, I got my money, and as we came back, his wife was actually following me. She was like driving like a psycho. That's how it looked like until I saw it's his wife. Driving behind me, pushing me from behind, and I couldn't understand what's going on, and then he told me to stop, it's his wife. And then as I stopped, his wife even fell on her knees crying. She couldn't believe because I wasn't even dressed in a proper way. I was wearing a short pants. She was probably understanding from the very onset where he was. So what I want to say is, it doesn't matter even the age or the color, there's, there's really men with class coming to me, men with big families, men with a proper life, coming to me complaining, saying they need a break, things are too much out there for sex. So my clients are really not clients that will hurt me. They pay me even more than I, what, what I asked but they're taking money that they could have been spending on their families. They come to smoke drugs when their kids are home alone. So that is the type of clients I'm having. It's men in life. It looks like they are proper men, but they are not. in the beginning it used to hurt me when I was still standing in the streets. I used to be looking down, bursting in tears because they're breaking everything that I still have, the only things I have still left. I used to sometimes even swear at them back. But now I don't have words. When people look at me funny or they, they talk behind my back funny, I don't think it can hurt really i don't think it really hurts really it makes a difference to what i to what i feel maybe my emotion at the time if i was happy they will make me to be angry but it doesn't hurt me anymore because i've i think i've reached the level of pain where that is a small thing in my eyes because i'm dealing with something serious but people need to understand in this life god never created us to take each other down or to pull each other down. It doesn't matter what. Even if you can be dirty and even if you can be sick, you are still created by the one up there. So I, I just need people to start asking God to look at one another through his eyes.
and not through their own eyes. Because maybe then there'll be a difference in the way they look at us. young it was two white girls I saw and it's not even in a big town it's even in a small town people were supposed to be noticing long time back that they disappeared or they've been used for sex or they've been used to break in or whatever but they never did I think they, those girls were at the age of 10 and 11 it was two sisters two blonde hair short blonde hair yeah. Um, I need for them to really look after their children because I've seen I've seen moms really using their children even to get drugs. Um, and there's so many girls in my situation even being ended up in this situation because of at home it wasn't that nice. Daddy used to even do the same, so what they are doing now, they don't see any difference in it. But I, I do believe that um, many things came from where, the, where children grew up. <coughs> um, but, yeah, that's not the message I want to give out. Because even if it can be in a stable house, in a stable life, the way my life was, it can happen. It's exceptions, but it even happens. But uh, I think the message I want to give out to people out there is life is more worth than just to drink and to party and to smile and to have fun and to have a break to go to a sex worker. People are missing everything in life when they only live life like that. Going to work and coming back and preparing food and feeding the kids and putting them in bed is not even life. People really need to start seeing that everybody dies, but not everybody lives. So make sure that the life you are living, you can look back one day and say, I've lived. If living is for you to heal other people, then do it. If living is looking after children, then do it. But love, because people out there don't love, I see it every day. That's why they end up using drugs. That's why they end up missing to see what, sh what, what happened. Where's my child? Because they never lived. They were just busy with their own things. Where's my child? She's just there. I don't find it. She's going to come home for three days because mommy was too busy with work. So that's my message out there to people. Everybody should really start to love and see the real reality in life.
money for them, then maybe they will be saying, no, they need money today. But where I'm staying, even if I don't work for five days and I work one day, it makes up for that five days, do you understand? Yeah. Because I've been, yeah, so. I'm going to have this pointed at your hand, you can just answer this question. Is, um, from what our understanding of this story, the fact that it happened so quickly, and now it's, it's been three years. But it was one night, a little piece is building up to it, but one night that changed everything. Yeah. And it happens very fast. I want to make an example of something that happened, like, um, four, five nights back, I went to a client in the hotel Garden Courts in Santon, very rich. My money was even given in advance. I even asked him much more than I was supposed to. He didn't mind. So normally I'm not comfortable with traveling, going to hotels because I don't trust people because of where I've been. Um, and even where I am, I don't trust the people who I'm staying. Even the guy I'm working for, I don't even trust him. But at least I know his, I know his behavior. If he starts to behave a certain way, I know that right now I should sit down and have a look about around what's going on. But I never, expect, um, I never expected anything to happen. But um, yeah, something that I went that night and my, my money was given in advance. And um, they were waiting down at the hotel. There can be many police, it doesn't matter, they don't fear. I took the money up in the room, I went down, I gave it to the guy I'm working for, and then they left. And the whole night, this client has been at my house where I'm staying before, and he, he paid me for two hours, only massaging my back, I never did sex with him. So that night, it was even very nice, because we weren't drinking alcohol, him himself was smoking crystal, I wasn't smoking crystal because I don't do crystal. And um, he was smoking ganja, and we only, both of us were drinking water. So I wasn't thinking that I might be drunk and not handling, I, could, I can't handle the situation. So I was very comfortable where I was in what was going on. We were just chatting, and then he was talking about his life. He's not from South Africa, though. Um, but the type of money he's having was, it was so much that I, like I was even watching what's going on around me because when he takes money out, it's like in bags, do you understand? Like, but I wasn't, I was very comfortable where I was. My soul was even, like, I was feeling that nothing can happen. And the next moment, I'm, I was lying on the bed, like, on my side. My hand was even in my phone. My, my phone was even in my hand because I was going to order more drugs for him. The next moment, I just faint, like, I just went. And the moment when my, my, my head hit the bed, I came up and I, I felt that my, I couldn't move. I couldn't move at all. Like in, the first thing was um, I wasn't taking any drug because I, I wasn't drinking alcohol. What is going on? My mind is telling me that my body can't move. But when I press my phone for the light to come on, because I, now I want to call my, my, the guy um, I'm staying with to tell him that I feel like I'm being drugged. I'm moving, but my mind is telling me that I can't move and I've never felt this feeling before. They've drugged me so many times, but this feeling was a feeling that I couldn't handle. 
And I can't tell you, I do remember around 11 o'clock was the, was, was, was the time I saw on my phone. And 20 minutes past 12 was the time when I lifted my head and I pressed my button again. I felt that I can't move, but I, my brain is telling me I can't move, but I'm moving. Was the time I saw on my phone, so it was like one hour and 20 minutes, right? And then it was at, at an extreme where I was looking at him and he, I remember he was sitting on the chair in the corner and he asked me, am I okay? With a smile on his face and I'm saying no and there I go again. And I'm trying with everything I have to be awake, but it's so hard. And at a point, like I just, I, I, I can't remember if, if it was me or if it was my brain telling me, I jumped up and I said to him, and everything happens slow motion. Everything around me doesn't feel fine. And he just gave me a smile and a wink. And he told me my time is, my time is done. Or my time is over. But imagine somebody's giving me a smile when I'm telling him everything around this room. I'm, he can see that I'm so dizzy, I can fall over now. And then I opened the hotel room door from the inside. It's not locked from the inside. And I went out. I left my shoes, everything there. The only thing that I took was my handbag was lying next to me on the bed. So as I stood up, I had it. Um, I had it with me. And as I went out, I remember both my phones are inside. So who am I calling now? And then, because that phone I had in my hand, I didn't even take that phone. The only phone I, I managed to be able to call the guy that um, I'm working for on was one in my handbag, but it's it's a phone I normally don't use. It's um, probably, it's a client's old phone that came to smoke drugs for it or something. It was in my handbag and I used it with that SIM card to send a police call me. Yeah, and then, I'm struggling to see where's in, where's out in the hotel. I'm on the eighth floor. I struggled so much to get down. It felt like everything around me happening. It was like it happened before. But this is an extreme where I'm not capable of handling it. I was thinking this can't be happening again because I'm too clever. It can't be good. Where, where am I? I can't see where's out. on his way I, I must go to the house he's going to that guy so that is what his words was so as I went out at least I had money on me because that guy was still waiting for his drugs so the money for his drugs was on me it was 2,000 Rand and then I, I saw Uber I climbed in the Uber and then he phoned again and then I gave the Uber guy the phone to talk, um, to, talk to that um, the guy was calling me the guy I'm working for and he said to him where he should take me and I was for 
one second a little bit comfortable, I'm inside a car at least, and then it hits me. What if this Uber is part of everything and I'm inside the car? I couldn't imagine what am I going to do because I've never... The type of... The, the, the feeling I had inside of me was... I'm not handling the situation. I'm not even capable of trying to be okay because my whole head is spinning. Everything, the type of whatever's in, going on inside my head, I've never felt before. So I can't, I can't tell you how I control it and how I handled the situation, but I was awake the whole time. The only thing I tried to tell myself is do not sleep, do not sleep. At a, at a stage on our way back, um, we passed the garage and I told the, the Uber, um, the, the driver of the Uber to stop. I want to go inside the garage because I feel like I can't trust him. And as I went inside the garage, I wanted to buy something to eat, but I'm not walking straight. Um, I keep walking, bumping myself against things and everybody is looking at me. Nobody is, nobody is asking me if I'm okay, but I remember that. When I, I asked for, I wanted cheese pie. That's the only thing I felt I can eat. And when I took the cheese pie, I was I was supposed to pay for it, but I can't see where's the till because I'm um, it's like I'm in a different world. And eventually, as I got out, I couldn't find the Uber's car. I got almost in the wrong car. So the type of drug they gave me in my water there was at a level that I've been in the system three years, and I couldn't handle that situation. But um, the Uber guy was not part of it, at least. But it was so bad inside that I was even thinking it, it must be the, this guy should be also part of it. But um, and and I couldn't believe that after all this time, they got me again. That was the worst pain in my heart. I'm supposed to be bigger than that now, but I wasn't. So. It happens very fast and it happens at moments where you will not expect it coming. They watch and and do the things they need to do very, very with good preparation. That is something everybody needs to understand. You can't be too clever for it. You can't. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Save Them Podcast. As always, you can find us at savethem.org. See you next time. Thank you and donkey.